First up, the chairman of the House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol has opened a primetime hearing earlier tonight, declaring the attack put America's, quote, constitutional democracy at risk. Tuesday night's remarks from uh, from Benny Thompson, the Democrat from Mississippi, came as the House Committee uh, was about to show new video and did and other evidence from the deadly Capitol assault. The panel also planned to detail the backstory as Donald Trump tried to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. Thompson warned democracy remains in danger from the conspiracy that fueled that riot. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup, a brazen attempt, as one rioter put it shortly after January 6th, to overthrow the government. The violence was no accident. It represents Senate Trump's last stand, most desperate chance to halt the transfer of power. Of course, this was being aired in prime time in the U.S., just about everywhere, not everywhere. Fox News wasn't showing it. Uh, That was Benny Thompson, the Democrat from Mississippi. Meantime, on the other side of the country, Prime Minister Trudeau met with President Joe Biden today, speaking of Joe Biden, on the sidelines of the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. Topics included the war in Ukraine, energy security, supply chain issues, and, quote, both leaders reaffirmed the strong bonds between our nations. Well, joining me now is Bruce Heyman, who served as U.S. Ambassador to Canada from 2014 to 2017. And those will be words you'll be happy to hear. Welcome back. Thank you for your time. Pleasure. Good to be with you this evening. I guess we'll start with what uh, many of us, I gather, were watching on both sides of the border tonight was uh, was the January 6th committee. Um, really, I mean, it, it seems like such an important process. What did you make of the first night? First night is going quite well. I would tell you that this is important because not only are we documenting exactly what happened, But the committee's had investigative powers that has gone on for many months now, and they've had a whole series of interviews, which has led them to the ability to now lay out their case to the American people. And this will happen not just tonight, but in a series of hearings. And at the end of the day, we will all know exactly what they know in terms of what took place on January 6th, which was, at least as they laid it out this evening, an insurrection attempt to overthrow the United States government by Donald Trump. It was interesting to see both uh, Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney there, a Republican. Um, But I gather that within, and this is Canadians watching from afar, but there is still a lot of division over these hearings and over the event itself. Uh, It it seems to have shifted uh, quite significantly since uh, since January the 6th of last year. Look, there there are a lot of followers still of uh, Donald Trump and the belief set that he had. And he has spent a lot of money and time perpetuating, you know, what I consider to be the big lie about this election uh, being stolen from him. It was fairly executed. Votes were counted. He went to the courts some 60 times. He went to the courts. The courts did not find in his favor his own Justice Department, as was um, revealed tonight at, from almost top to bottom, uh, didn't believe it. And much of the staff of the White House didn't believe it. It was just Donald Trump and his continued use of his command of social media and engaging more radical elements of our society to you know, try to attempt to stop this uh, vote counting that was taking place on January 6th. I know this is a difficult challenge for for any committee right now, but is there any chance here that there will be consensus or at least some form of consensus on what happened that day? 
there will always be the other side. And I don't doubt that Donald Trump and many of the people who follow him will, you know, portray this as some political witch hunt um, or some, you know, fake set of hearings. But in all reality, this is, you know, from top to bottom, you know, um, bipartisan in nature. It is, you know, there are people who have taken the oath of office and an oath that I took is swearing uh, to loyalty, not to a person, not to a president, but to the Constitution of the United States, defending it against enemies, foreign and domestic. And in this particular case, I think we have enemies domestic. And so this is really important that we go through this process. What happens at the end of it? I don't know whether the Justice Department picks it up and, you know, executes, uh, you know, charges against uh, people within the White House. I mean, it's clear that charges now are being leveled um, at multiple levels against, you know, some of these proud boys and oath keepers and some of these more radical elements that were charged up by Donald Trump. Now, Peter Navarro from the White House team was charged basically for not um, working with the committee under subpoena. But, you know, we still haven't gotten to uh, the tip of the spear. I know you I know you interned at the US House of Representatives back in the late 70s mm. for Congressman Charles Whalen so this is a, a place and a and a and a institution you know inside out not just from your days as ambassador as well um is there a sense in the US now and I think a lot of Canadians watch this with a certain trepidation is there a sense that this is at risk of happening again that there that elections will will constantly now be contested by the losing side maybe I mean you know, look, the mistake we all make is the experience we had yesterday is going to happen over and over again. And we all get fearful of it. Remember 9-11, it was just going to happen right away over and over again. Where we looked in every corner, we thought this is, you know, we're going we're to be under attack. We probably feel many of us feel that way about a pandemic. And, and of course, we feel that way a little bit about what's happened here with regard to the attempted takeover uh, of the Capitol during during this vote counting effort. That that all being said, I think the process that we're watching in the United States is a process that is healthy. You know, in our history, we, we've made mistakes and we've gotten ourselves caught up, whether it was slavery in the United States or, you know, um, much of what happened in the anti-communist era with the McCarthy trials that were taking place. You know, we we do course correct, and that's the benefit of the strength of democracy. But democracy in itself is fragile, and we can't take it for granted. So voting counts. It's important. And fighting for the rule of law, um, along with, you know, we can have political differences every day, but those differences should never arise to destroying the government. I did note that in Benny Thompson's opening remarks, he did mention the War of 1812, uh, which harkens back to a very different time in the history between our two countries, or not really countries at that point, but certainly uh, Canada and the U.S. historically. Uh, coming up, uh, you know, we, we know today that Prime Minister Joe Biden, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and Joe Biden met today on the sidelines of the Summit of the Americas. Ambassador Heyman, uh, former Ambassador Heyman, has just written an op-ed calling for our two countries to build a bigger and stronger relationship. It's a fascinating read, and I want to save uh, quite a bit of time to ask you about that, and that's coming up. 
Well, it's great to have Bruce Heyman, former U.S. ambassador to Canada, with us this half hour. He's just written an op-ed for the Chicago newspaper called It's Time for a Bigger, Bolder Partnership Between Canada and the United States. A fascinating read, makes some really interesting uh, points. Um, What I wanted to start with was, it's interesting that you talked about, given the steady erosion of free trade and democracy, that that our relationship can't be taken for granted. And I guess, given your vantage point, I guess for, you know, over time, we do take the relationship for granted at times. You know, when you have something that you really care for, but you don't invest in it, you don't spend time, you end up taking it for granted. But that puts the relationship, I think, it always at jeopardy. Whatever relationship you have, whether it's a customer and a business, a love or partnership relationship or relationship between countries. And so, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that kind of needs to be focused on on an ongoing basis. Now, our diplomats do that. I, uh, being the former ambassador, I know the current ambassador and both sides of our, our two borders. Um, they're working hard all the time. But what ends up happening in much of that is it becomes very transactional, especially in the fast-moving world of facing pandemics and wars and trade irritants that occur on both sides of the border. But you also have to take time to think about the long term. And it can't just be every day getting up and dealing with the you know, the irritants or, or transactional items of the day. you got to think about what are we going to invest in, what institutions and how are we going to do that, how do we codify it, and how do we protect the relationship over a very, very long period of time. And you have come up with a proposal that would be a bit like a, uh, well, certainly a codification of it, uh, a formal treaty. What would that look like and what would it bring? So a formal treaty, why did I say treaty? First of all, we do so many things together. We have a North American uh, aerospace agreement that protects North American, not only um, our airspace, which happened during 9-11, happens every day, but now aerospace and sea. And the, and the prime minister just visited the NORAD facilities this mm-hmm. week. Um, we have NAFTA, which covers much of our trade. We have a pre-clearance agreement, which covers how we can, uh, many Canadians can enter U.S. customs right there in Canada at many airports. We have lots of agreements. But when you codify an agreement through Parliament and through Congress, and you get it passed in a treaty form, then future presidents or prime ministers who may try to sully the relationship will have a much more difficult time doing that. And after having watched how Donald Trump behaved, and having seen how more radical forces are rising globally, I suggest that we look at the relationship and find a way to codify it such that it's bipartisan on both of our countries, or multi-party agreement in Canada, and that we get ourselves to a point where we can codify it and protect the relationship long-term, and that's through a treaty. What would that, I mean, how difficult would that be to to undertake and, and what kind of machinations would it take uh, between the two sides to try to come up with something like that and agree on it, given, as you mentioned, the irritants, the politics, the changes in regimes? Oh, it's, but I, I suggest this and we write about it. It isn't easy. In fact, it's really, 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 really hard. But that should never stop us. It never has before. You know how I end the piece is, you know, the saying, go big or go home, as the saying goes, I say, we're already home, so let's go big once again. And so the point being, think big, shoot for the stars, 
um, but at least we'll focus on those things that are important to us, important to Canadians, important to Americans, and get them codified so we can push ahead. Can we get a modernized border? Can we have agreement on energy? Can we work on the Arctic? Can we work on cyber protection for both of our countries in a world where um, cyber is going to be, you know, very much challenging? Supply chains, pre-clearance of goods. We can go on and on and on, but there's so many places that we can work on. And I didn't want to, you know, write about each one of those because I would like, you know, the two countries to work together to identify where that agreement and overlaps and we can come together. Yeah, I just had a, I did a fascinating panel discussion on borders and just how successful the European Union has been considering people never thought that it would work with all these countries who had for so long defended their borders quite vigorously. And it doesn't, I can't see why it wouldn't work between our two nations if we found a way to at least agree on things that would make crossing that border easier considering how much trade goes back and forth. I had a, a quick question for you. We, there was the parliamentary budget officer came out today with some statistics on Canadian defense spending. And I know this something, this is something that you brought up uh, back when you were ambassador and something that President Obama brought up, something President Trump brought up, although albeit in very different ways. Uh, but Canada's still falling far short of 2% of GDP on spending on defense. Um, has that been something that the Americans have, have long tried to encourage Canada to do? Is, there, is that an irritant in our relationship, uh, Canada's defense spending? Well, it's something that we've worked on, and it's something that I communicated very clearly to both uh, the Harper uh, government and the Trudeau government. So it, it isn't about any one party in Canada. And the fact of the matter is, look, I get it. You're, you're not going to need attack military equipment. That's not who you are. And so you also don't need a monstrous uh, North American defense military budget because you've got the United States right next door. So then you have to think about how do you creatively meet your NATO commitments how do you meet that commitment as a partner, as a sit-next-to partner in NORAD with the United States, and do it so that it fits um, the Canadian, you know, spirit of how you think about defense spending, and at the same time, you know, meet, meet these global commitments? And I think there are creative ways of doing it. My guess is we're going to see an announcement of a significant modernization of our NORAD relationship. That will, in part, be uh, a pay down of some of this, you know, 2% of, uh, uh, of your economy should be spent toward uh, military goods and defense goods. And look, the threat is, is large out there, especially when, you know, Russia's demonstrated they can just go next door and do what they've done to Ukraine. You know, who's to say that they stop there? And why would anybody naively think that that's, if they win there, why would they stop there? They haven't demonstrated that historically. And they, they, they haven't interfered with our elections. And, you know, they have quite significant cyber capabilities. So, you know, there are ways that we can work together and I think meet these numbers and still keep the soul of, uh, of Canada in the, in the right place and how you think about military spending. Bruce Heyman, thank you so much for your time tonight. I highly recommend the op-ed. It's called It's Time for a Bigger, Bolder Partnership Between Canada and the United States. Thanks for joining in tonight. Thanks, everybody. Be well, and hopefully I'll get up, up north very soon. Yeah, hope so. The weather's getting nicer. <laughs>